If you decided to listen to this week's message of Dr. Day Central, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. We're diving into a brand new series this morning called Making Space. We're about all about making space, and we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 25 or 23. I'm not sure. Yep. There we go. And I've asked Nalene to read for us this morning because she has such a beautiful voice. So please give her a little hand. <laughs> Thank you, Lorraine. Okay, so this is an over-dramatization of the scripture. So make your, let's get ready. Okay, Jordi, are you ready? Let's go. Okay, Matthew 25, verse 14 to 13. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Sounds like a fairy tale. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received only one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrust me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to one that has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The end. Thank you so much. Great, guys. So I'm never going to read scriptures ever again. <laughs> this is obviously an amazing portion of scripture. Sorry for, for the typo up there. It should be Matthew 25. So if you were wondering, just clarifying, it will be probably 
in the next service, correct? Okay, guys, so as I said, this is the portion of scripture that we're going to be reflecting on and the story a little bit today. And it's opening up our series called Making Space. So can I quickly see my show of hand? Who of you know that you have enough margin in your life? I mean, you have more than enough time. I mean, so you have enough time and then you even have a little bit of more extra time. Anybody like that? You can just put up your hand if you like that. Um, I'm, I'm seeing only the students thought so. <clears throat> Anybody with, um, when it comes to your money, you have lots of margin when it comes to your budget. I mean, like you have more than enough and then you even have some extra left. Anybody here in the room having that? Great. So this is the perfect sermon for you to be a part of because it's all about creating margin and making space in your life. Now, before I dive into how and all the stuff for my three points, just quickly one little question. Why is it so important for us to create space in our life? Why do you think it's so important? I actually want to use this little illustration here at the back. So space is quite important, especially in the area of literature. You guys know to that? Check it out. So if you don't have any space, you clearly do not have any clarity, correct? You struggle to read. It's almost like in literature, it becomes one big word, which you can't even pronounce. It's like, blah, blah. I mean, I don't know how you're going to pronounce that, baby. And for some of us, our lives, if we don't have any space, we struggle to find clarity. It's like one big word. I can give you the word for most of us. How are you doing? Busy, but good. Good, busy. Yeah, what are you busy with? No, you know, I'm just, just busy. No clarity. I'm just just a massive piece of activity that's happening the whole time. No space. Without any space in my life and without space, not just clarity, also rhythm flies out of the door. No more pauses, no more commas, semicolons, no more stops, no more moments where you just pause in life and think about what just happened and look at what should be happening. None of that happens. So no rhythms keeping you going. With no space in life, also no priorities. No more capital letters saying this is a little bit more important. This is actually a name. Here is where you need to focus. Here is the priority in this moment right now. That's what happens when we don't have space. However, should we have space, we turn this block of text into Psalm 23. And your life story starts communicating something truly beautiful and remarkable. And that's what this series is all about. It's about finding a plaque, a space in your life to discover, listen to this, what God is calling you to be. How do I make space to be the person that God is calling me to be? That my life story is not just one big word with no priorities, no clarity, no rhythm, but it actually becomes a beautiful poem that glorifies him, that points to him. It shows how amazing he is because that's what happened with that block of text. An editor put its hands into that text and put some space in and it became something truly remarkable. So with that being said, for today, we're going to take some time, make some space to think about this, to think about what's the calling that God has over your life. And we're going to do it in three ways, what we're called to do, how we're called to do it, and what do you and I need 
to do what God has called us to do. So firstly, what are we called to do? Now in our little story that Nalene read to us so beautifully, we see that God has called us to be stewards and not owners. So you are called to be a steward and not an owner in this world. Can I just clarify that? That means nothing that you have, quickly say after me, nothing that I have is mine. <laughs> it's all his. That's the picture. Who owns your time, your treasures, your talents? Well, the, the one that owns my life. I've been called to be a steward and not an owner. And this is actually amazing news, guys. This is really, really good news because the pressure is on the owner to produce and to take final responsibility. The opportunity is on the steward to exercise the delegated authority and let things grow to be faithful in that space. Okay, so a good example of stewardship would be the story of Joseph and Potiphar. Joseph was the steward in Pharaoh's or Potiphar's household. In fact, so he was the guy that overseen all of Potiphar's affairs. He had the same authority in essence as Potiphar at that moment. He could exercise as if he is the owner, but he was never the owner. So every decision he made, everything that he did, he was thinking and filtering it through this idea that I'm not the owner. I'm doing this on behalf of the owner. Now, that's easy enough to understand, I believe. However, I have found that there is a huge battle for us when it comes to ownership. I don't know if you know this, but the battle is on, especially when it comes to my budget. <laughs> so to illustrate this a little bit, um, we decided as a family that this year will be the year that we start giving pocket money to the kids. So Mika and Jean, super excited about this because they're going to get pocket money now. And we put a whole thing in place for them to discover that when you get money, you're only a steward of money and not the owner of this. So we want them to rule over their money and not allow the money to rule over them. So we put a few things in place. Firstly, we said, okay, guys, you're going to get pocket money, but you have to do chores in this house. And it's not just cleaning your room. You need to start taking responsibility for the bigger picture of the house. So the one week you would take responsibility for Zinzi. That's our little doggy. And the other week you would take responsibility for packing the dishwasher. You obviously get all kinds of lack of stuff connected to these two things, but that's kind of the rhythm. You take responsibility. And then once a week, just for now, so that we can train and show them how this whole story works, you would come into our room on a Saturday and we would give you your first pocket money. And then on that pocket money, we had three things that we're teaching them to do. The first one is, what do you do with your money the moment you get it? What's the first thing you do when you get your 10 rand? By the way, we decided on 10 rand a week for now, just so that it's easier to, des to describe the, the, the tithes and stuff. But the first thing that we said, okay, is you thank Jesus. You acknowledge where he comes from. Because money is not the boss of me. I rule over money because I follow Jesus. And he says, when you follow me, you acknowledge that I'm your provider and not money. See, money can be a quick master in your life. A great servant, bad master, by the way. So first thing we do, we give one rand to Jesus. Second thing we do is we save one rand to be generous with someone else. 
Because Jesus shows us that's who he is. He's generous. So we're going to be generous. Third thing we do is we save another one rand for one day when we're old. Now, I know when I say that, everybody laughs at me. But let me just quickly share this with you. Proverbs says, a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That means my money goes far beyond me. My resources goes far beyond me. Okay, so those are the three things we put in place. And then lastly, we told them, you can whatever, well, the seven rand that's left, you can do whatever you want with it. It's yours. You can go for it and go crazy. Just one little rule. You must tell us on the Saturday what you want to do with this money for the rest of the week. That you don't in the middle, in an impulsive moment, quickly make a decision on money. So we're teaching them to think through what they want to do with their finances. Okay, so there we have it. That's the little slot. Now it happened, I invited John in. First time that we get into pay pocket money, John comes in like, well, welcome, Jean-Key, and congratulations. And I shake his hand, first pocket money. He's like super proud. I'm getting my 10 rands, amazing. We go through the whole thing. What's the first thing you do? Second thing, third thing. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he saves the money. He's a little bit worried about how much he can save. But in any case, that there, we've written, written everything down. Jean-Key, high five, well done, walks out. Mika comes in. Now, if you know Mika, she's a lady. You, you know, she, she, they say she's a rosebush. Do you guys know the rosebush personalities? They say the rosebush personalities, they don't have friends, they have minions. So you think you're walking with Mika somewhere, but she's actually walking with you somewhere. You hear what I'm saying? Okay, so she's taking you wherever she wants to go. And we're having this conversation and she comes in and I say, congratulations, Mix. You have your first 10 Rand pocket money. It's very exciting stuff. And I'm like, what's the first thing that we do with our money? She's like, yeah, Rand for Jesus. Give one Rand to Jesus. And I'm like, yes, you're right. And so I reach over to the table because we now took that 10 Rand and we had like 10 one Rand there so that they can clearly see. And we take that one Rand and I have a little box there, the box, the Jesus box. And then the generous generosity box and then the saving box. Okay. So we take the one rand and I'm taking it. I'm on my way to put it into the Jesus box. And as I take it, she's like, no, 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 no. what are you doing with that one rand? I'm like, we're giving it to Jesus. Uh-uh, you're going to take that away. I know you guys are going to take it. When I leave, you're going to take my one rand. I'm like, no, we're not going to take the one rand. We're putting it in the place. We're going to give it to Jesus tomorrow. And she's like, how are you going to give it to Jesus? She's going to go like up. She's going to go up like that. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no, no, it's not going to up like that. I tell her, how do I give you money? I give you money for the things that you want. So if you want to buy a nice Barbie, you come to me and you ask me, Daddy, I really want some money for this. And then we go and we go and give it towards the thing that you Want. So Jesus wants to do something. He's busy building his church. So how do we give Jesus money? We give it to the things that he wants. So, okay, okay. She understands that a little bit, but it, it was a, it was a frown moment. It's like, oh, scaly. But, and then the next moment as she's sitting there, she's, but I've never heard Jesus speak. I'm like, why? Interesting. I said, but why don't you pray and ask him to speak to you? She said, but I don't have a tablet like you, that Jesus can speak to me. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? I don't, yeah, every morning, and I mean, myself and Gerard will be explaining to her that like every morning we're sitting and we're listening, Jesus is alive, you know, we, we're testifying in this moment, but now it's the tablet. And I'm like, what do you mean tablet comes from? And then I realized every morning when I'm doing my quiet time, I'm listening to the Bible. I'm listening to scripture. So she thinks that's Jesus speaking to me, which is 
in a sense, correct as well. <laughs> but a beautiful moment. So needless to say, it finally ended off with a, okay, okay, okay. I trust Jesus is there, he's alive. I'm, I'm honoring him first. The reason why I'm telling this story is I want to quickly share with you guys how quick we kill Jesus. Money has the capacity, a one rand coin, killed Jesus in the eyes of my little girl that morning. One rand. I needed to put down one rand. I've never heard him. Does he even exist? Is he really there? That's where she was. That's the capacity and the battle for ownership. I want to say, and God says, no, no, no. You're not called to own. you called to steward. So that's what we've been called to do. We need to make space for God to be the owner of our stuff and for us to live as good stewards of the stuff that is given to us. The second thing is, how are we called to do this? How do we make this space? Well, very easy. Good stewards, faithful stewards plan and they don't compare. Those are the two things. Faithful stewards plan and they don't compare. So what does it mean when I plan? So as I say, planning, the planning for the You guys know? You know that one? Or the other one that says, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. There we go. So a good steward plans, takes time to plan. Proverbs says it like this. The plans of the diligent leads to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Proverbs 21. So if you plan, it leads to a great profit. Almost like in our story, the good stewards that planned went to work their money well. Next moment, they made a profit of it. It grew. So that's what God expects. It expects whatever I've given you, I want you to plan. I want you to be diligent with this so that there will be a profit. Okay, so let's use the, the example of time. How many of you guys have ever said these words? I don't have enough time. Quickly by show of hands. Anybody here that needs to confess this morning? So if your hands are not up, I know you're lying and you're in church. This is not cool. <laughs> okay, the point is we've all been there. Can I tell you a shockingly big truth? Here it is. We all have 24 hours a day. So what we mean when we say I don't have enough time is I haven't planned my time well. Ignore. You hear what I'm saying? That's the key. So there is this burden on us to take responsibility, to plan better, to plan well with every single thing. I mean, you're not taking responsibility of your stuff. You're taking responsibility of his stuff. And he's asking you to plan well. And I know you might be sitting here and you're saying, Lorraine, but this is really heavy. I mean, this is unfair. Why are you going so far? And maybe if we've gotten past that, you might get to the point where you start asking me, but is there like a foolproof system plan that I can use to make sure that whenever I do habits and I cultivate habits into my life, that it leaves margin in my time and in my money? Does Jesus have anything to tell me about this? And the answer is yes, he does. He actually has two foolproof plans to put margin into your life. The first one is called the Sabbath. Everybody says Sabbath. Maybe you've heard about this one. It's that idea of once in the week, you don't work. The whole day, you just leave everything that you would usually do, and you do nothing. 
And I know the first thing you're going to tell me is you're going to look at me and say, but Lorraine, I, when I have time, <laughs> I don't have time to um, take a whole day and not work. I don't have the time to create space for rest. And I want to tell you, God says exactly the opposite. He says, take a day off so that you will have enough time. That's actually what he says. He says, following my plan for your life, resting, giving me this day, is the thing that's going to enable you to have more capacity. It's going to enable you to have more clarity to go and do what I've called you to do. So what is a Sabbath all about? A Sabbath is literally taking one day and saying, this is the day that I remember that all of my work is not the thing that makes everything work. There is someone far bigger, far greater than me. That means I can rest in his capacity. I can also rest in the fact that I know he's far greater and far bigger, but he's also far more loving. And he loves me and he wants only good for me. And there will never be a moment that he is not looking after me. I can rest in that. You guys see pressure is off. Pressure starts going off. And just by the way, for all the guys who want all the practical stuff, there's actually some scientific evidence for this. Firstly, people that rest are far more effective than people that does not rest. Scientifically proven. Secondly, in history, we've actually seen people in the French Revolution. I don't know if you guys know about that, but it was, took place about the same time as the American Revolution. And the American Revolution was a Christian revolution, people turning back to God, where the French Revolution was an atheistic revolution. So in other words, people rejected God. They ran away from God. If you're part of the French Huguenots, you would probably know this, like me and my family. We, our forefathers came here because of that revolution. And the people were so adamant about this that they literally decided to reject even a seven-day work week because they know that echoed the rhythm that God created and put into creation. So they decided we're going to do a 10-way work week, 10-week, 10-week. And we're going to have lack of holidays and what, what, what. Did you know that that didn't last clearly enough? People started turning insane because they rejected the owner that made them. They didn't steward as he called them to steward. So yeah, that's the plan, by the way, for our time. And many times we think when it comes to the Sabbath, it's me giving a day to God. Can I just tell you that's so far from the truth. This is actually a gift God gives to you. If you don't believe me, read it with me. Mark chapter 2, 27 says, Jesus speaking, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So when you follow Jesus in resting, it's a gift that he gives you. Trust me, I got this. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm always with you. Trust me. Follow me. When it comes to our money, there's another plan. It's called tithing. Maybe you've heard about that one. And that's when you literally take 10% of your income and you say, Jesus, I know I don't have enough money, but I'm taking 10%. Putting my trust, my faith in you. I'm making you the Lord of my life. Putting it in there, down that. And I know you're going to say, I don't have enough money to tithe. And Jesus says, tithe so that you will have enough money <laughs> and enough margin in your budget for me. And it's the craziest of things. I don't know how to describe it, but when I didn't tithe, I always lacked 
after I tithe, I always had an abundance. Sometimes miraculously, sometimes I would just like have people pay money into my account and I didn't even know where it comes from. Some of the hardest seasons of life that happened. And sometimes it was just in my mind that I put down the pressure of providing and saying, Jesus, it's you that provide for me. So in the same way, I want to tell you, if you're struggling with this one, I want to almost read that portion of scripture in Mark chapter 2, verse 27 again to you, but just put in tithe there. Then he said to them, the tithe was made for man. Man was not made for the tithe. This is the place where you surrender ownership. And you say, Jesus, you own it. So if it doesn't work out, (laughs) we don't have enough. Your problem. I will be faithful with whatever you give me. I will work with everything that you give me. I will use my creativity. I will do everything that I need to do. But you are the one that gives favor and opens up. Putting that in your hands. So first thing, we need to plan. God wants something for us, not from us. Second thing, good stewards, don't compare. We don't compare. So we don't plan. We we do plan, sorry. Forgive me. So we do plan, but we do not compare. Okay, so what does that mean? I know this is very interesting. When it comes to time, we're all happy because we have 24 hours a day. But when it comes to our money, did you see what happened in our story? Some got five, others got two, and others got one. And do you realize that this servant that missed out on the opportunity that he was given was the one that compared. The other two, like with my five, I'm immediately going, I'm running. The other one, I'm going, I'm running. And then this last one is, I'm afraid that what if I don't produce? What if I don't have the capacity to bring it where it needs to be? I'd rather just hide it away. Interestingly enough, and and I find that many times. So let's use it when it comes to our tithing, for instance. Oh, no, I'm not rich. I don't have enough money. I can't do this. Can I just point your attention to the fact that Jesus noted the widow that almost had nothing to give with her little bit. She said, I'm not comparing. I know who is my king, who owns me, and I follow him. She put it into that little box there. I do not believe that God wants us to compare. Comparison steals confidence. It gets you away from who God created you to be. It's literally not of God. Let me just say that. You know what is of God? Contentment. God wants us to be content in everything that we do. I see there's some excitement there at the back. I want you guys to read this with me. It's Philippians chapter 4. And it's Paul speaking. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. Just quickly for a moment, stop there. I have learned. Everybody say learn. Learn. This is not just something that you quickly get. It's something that you learn. It's a process in life that God takes you through. And he's he's helping you to discover the secret to being content. Paul discovered a secret to no longer compare, to no longer be in a place where it feels like I don't have enough. He's discovered the secret of being content, being okay with what God has given me in this moment right now. He discovered that. 
It says, in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, and whether living in plenty or in want, he discovered the secret. And if you were wondering what it is, I was also many times in my life in a place, especially when God changes seasons in my life, where I wanted to discover the secret that I would be okay with what God is doing me in me at this very moment right now. And we see it in verse 13, it's Philippians 4 verse 13, just the next verse. It says, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Guys, the secret to contentment is to discover that nothing is above the value and the worth of Jesus. Let me just say it like this. I remember there was a season in my life where I desperately struggled, desperately struggled with pride. I mean, and the reason why I struggled with it so much is because it built up and I put it outside of me. I was like, if I can just be successful, and now I'm going to say it, in ministry, then I would have meaning. Then I would be a somebody. And I came to a great fall. God humbled me. And in the process, I discovered whenever I want to take whatever I've done and put it down as a little trophy for myself, that I would count it as loss in comparison to knowing him. Because if I'm with him, I can do anything. He strengthens me. He's the one that gives me contentment. He's the one that helps me to go through my, how can I say this, my valleys, but also the one that keeps me safe and blind many times when I'm on the mountaintops and I might fall so quickly because I think it's all me. It's only in him. And this is exactly where we find our strength. This is where we get what we need to do what he's called us to do. It's in this one big discovery. How do we make space for God? How do we put these plans in place so that we can be a blessing? How do we follow Jesus in this? Well, to make space for God is in the discovery that he made space for you. That's the strength that you discover. That's where you get the motivation. Once you see God made space for you in more than one place, firstly, he made space for you as a steward in his good creation. Can you believe it? God is trusting you with stuff in this world. You know, sometimes when I look at a few people, I look at myself, I struggle to believe <laughs> that God could trust me with this. I'm overwhelmed by it sometimes. Yet, his love is enough. And what he sees in you is far more than what you see in yourself. You need to see that he's making space for you. And he's calling you to take responsibility in that space. And not only did he make space by entrusting you with something amazing, he also made space for you in the relationship that gave birth to everything. You know, we see that on the cross. On the cross, we see how Jesus calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time in all of eternity, there is a break in this relationship. 
There's never been a moment where God and the, the Father and the Son has not been together. And this is the first time we see that. There's a gap. There is some space. And do you know why? So that you can enter in. Jesus took that rejection so that you and I can have full acceptance. And once that grips your heart, that's when you trust your master. That's when you're filled with confidence to go and be a good steward of what he's called you to be. You follow his plan and you walk in his ways. Let's pray. Dad, this morning as we're talking about this unbelievable and an amazing opportunity of making space for the way, the truth, and the life in our lives. Then I come and pray wherever there are things in our hearts that's, that we're worried about, where we're taking ownership for stuff that we should not be. Worry always leads us there. We take pressure that's not our pressure to take. That this morning there is a release. When it comes to our time, when it comes to our health, when it comes to our finances, we release that to you. This is yours. And we actively follow you every step of the way. I pray that in Doxodeo Central, we will be faithful with the small things as you are continuing to entrust us with the bigger things. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say, Amen. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.